You guys um, keep up with the royal family at all? You guys, uh, <laughs> i got friends who do, and they're like crazy, but it's Prince George, right? <laughs> Have you guys seen Prince George recently? He's a pretty cute guy, right? He's, uh, he's pretty young. Um, he wears uh, pretty fancy clothes. He's the son of the next king. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's pretty right. <laughs> um, he would have a stupid amount of perks being the son of the next king. He would be, he, he'd like just be pampered endlessly. He's in the royal family. Check out this next photo. He's got like holding the hands of a king, queen, whatever. And this dude, he would have everything look after him. Look at the, the school thing that he's wearing. His classmates could like, couldn't think of bad nicknames for him. I bet you they're not even allowed. I bet you this kid has never tied his own shoelaces. I bet you he sleeps in a king-size bed. Look how tiny he is. I bet you he's in a king-size bed. I reckon he's never mown the lawn. <laughs> well, he'll never be asked to mow the lawn at least. His mum's never going to say, George, have you unstacked the dishwasher? He's just, there's no way this kid would have so, so, so many perks being in the royal family. He would be completely untouchable. But I'm here to tell you today that you, as Christians, have more perks than King or Prince George, wherever he is. You outstrip Prince George in the amount of perks that you have by far. Yesterday, <laughs> yesterday, we're looking at how to get right with God. Paul has been saying that it's by faith alone, not works. And today, we're looking at what we gain by faith in Christ. What are the perks that we gain by faith in Christ? The first perk that we're going to see is that we're not slaves anymore. We start off by having a look at the law again and we'll have a quick look at this because Paul just keeps going back to this. So we've got to keep going back to it. So from yesterday, we know that these Judaizers, these Jews who are trying to make the Galatians like Jews, that they've been saying that the only way to be saved is through works of the law. And the Galatians wanted this, right? They wanted to be saved. They wanted to be right with God. But they had bought into the lie that the only way to do that was by works of the law living obediently to the law in order to become holy. And Paul's been saying it's by faith alone. Have a look in verse 23 of chapter 3. I'm not in the right spot in my Bible. Chapter 3, verse 23. So he's been arguing the case of faith, not works. And in 23 he says, Before this faith came... We were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. The law is outdated. Something news here. We've got a 2.0. The law is old news. And Paul explains the law like a guardian, a tutor, someone who's supervising you, that you've grown up out of, you've grown beyond their supervision. But it's not a nice guardian. It's not, it's not, um, it's, there's nothing nice about this guardian. 
It's a guardian that holds you captive and locks you up. It's the type of captivity that's repetitive, like Groundhog Day. I don't think many of you would have watched Groundhog Day, but it's a movie. If you have, you know how bad it is because it's a movie about a guy who's just endlessly stuck in a time loop they can't get out of. It's so repetitive that it makes the movie suck. I hate it. Don't even watch it. But that's the law. It's holding us prisoners by our repeated efforts to keep it but never being able to. It's meant to be a repetitive cycle. And we can see this repetitive cycle in our lives, right? And we can see it in history. The law that we attempt to keep in order to be right with God is impossible to keep. It's corrupted by sin. If you really got this, you'd be crushed by your efforts to keep the law because you know that you could never achieve what the law sets out to do, becoming right with God. Trying to get right with God through the law over and over again, that's the definition of insanity, right? It's like a science experiment where you know that if you combine vinegar with bicarbonate soda, you get this frothy volcano, right? But imagine you tried that experiment over and over again not with vinegar, but with water, expecting a volcano. And just pour water on again. No, pour it on again. No, pour it on again. And you get the same result over and over again. That's insanity. And that's what the law is. We try over and over again to become right with God by keeping the law. But we know we can't. Don't be fooled. See that the purpose of the law is to lead you to Christ, not to make you holy. The law can still lead you to Christ today. It's still wrong to lie, cheat, steal. And I'm assuming most of you think that they're good laws to live by, not lying, not cheating, not stealing. But when you realise that you've lied, when you feel guilt over your sin, don't let it crush you down and turn you into a slave Make it drive you to Christ, who never lied, who was sinless, so that you can have a right relationship with God. Your obedience to the law can't make you righteous because you keep failing the law. So the way that you're led to Christ through the law is that you should be looking for some other way to be made right with God. We know from yesterday... It's faith alone that can save us. Let the law lead you to that conclusion. Place your faith in Jesus and his accomplishments, not your own accomplishments. So if that's a law, if the law made us into slaves, if we were stuck and held in captivity under the law, what do we gain by faith? What does faith make us? The next perk you'll see is that faith makes us children of God. Strap yourself in because there's some amazing stuff to see in the Bible here. Check out in verse 26. Verse 26 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. You are all one in Christ. 
If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. This is just loaded, right? Children of God. But how does faith get us there? How does faith make us children of God? Well, it's because of what we put our faith in. So you see all this in Jesus language through the passage that we just led, uh, that we just read. Let's go through it again. I want to count the times that we see in Jesus language. It says from verse 26, so in Jesus, that's one, your children of God through faith for all of you were baptized into Christ Jesus. That's two, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. Three, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, nor male or female, for you're all one in Christ. That's four. If you belong to Christ, that's five, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Five times clothed in Christ in his merits. In his righteousness, what we were before doesn't matter because what we are now to God is clothed in Christ. If we're in Christ, when God looks at us, that's what he sees. He sees Christ. He doesn't see you as a slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, only clothed in Christ. And there's some pretty epic implications that come out of this, right? Because we're all one in Christ. There's no divisions between us. We can see this when we look at each other, right? We look out among you, turn around, have a look at the person next to you. We can see, I can see nerds. I know who you are. I'm one of you, right? I'm a nerd. I can see hipsters. Whether you surf or skate, I'm sorry, you're still just a hipster. I can see lads all in your Nike get-up gear and Adidas. I can see um, bohos, those girls in flowy, dressy clothes and whatever. I don't know what you call different types of girls. I'm just making this up. But you are clothed in Christ. And because of that, we are all one. No divisions, no cliques, no factions, just one in Christ. And by becoming one in Christ, we can look at each other and see brothers and sisters. I love this, and I've been seeing it all week, right? I've been seeing groups of people together that I never would have thought would have mixed. Differences put aside because they are so insignificant in comparison to the greatest thing that we have in common. Faith in Jesus Christ uniting us as one. This is great because we can be encouraged by each other in so many different ways because we're so different to each other, but so united by what we believe in. But how did Jesus accomplish this? How does he make us children of God? We can see that it's in Christ, but pick up in chapter 4, verse 4, and pay careful attention to who Jesus is and what he has done. So from verse 4 in chapter 4, it says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive full rights of sons. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God's son. 
It means he's divine. He is God. But Jesus is born of a woman. So he's human also. He's God and man, both God and man. What did Jesus do? He's born under the law, living under the law as a Jew, but fulfilling the law and living a perfect life in order to redeem those under the law. That's us. So he might accomplish what? That he might give us adoption to sonship, that we might become children of God. If Jesus wasn't human, he couldn't have redeemed humans. If he wasn't righteous under the law, he couldn't have redeemed the unrighteous. If he wasn't God's son, he couldn't have made us children of God either. Jesus is the perfect, the only saviour who could redeem us from under the law. No other person will ever be worthy of our faith as what Jesus is. There's only one person who you can put your faith in to save you, and that is Jesus. So we become children of God through Jesus, through Jesus and what he's done. But do you know what the best perk is that we get by becoming children of God? We can now cry out to God, Abba, Father. We can call God Father. Jump with me to verse 4 again. We'll go through again from verse 4. But when the time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive full rights of son, sons. And because you are sons, or you, you, your translation will say children of God, sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and daughter. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. We have the spirit of the son in us who helps us call out Abba, Father. Abba is its a more intimate way that we can call out Father. It's like saying, Dad, how can we call God Father? Because we've been adopted. Is anyone able to call God Father? Heck no. God has never been the father of everyone, but only a select small group of people. In the Old Testament, it was just the Jews, the Israelites, that God was the father of. He was their father. They were his people. The Jews were God's chosen nation, so that when they're in captivity in Egypt, God says to Pharaoh, let my son go. But in the Old Testament... In order to be close with God, to be in his family, you needed to obey the law. And even then, there were so many barriers between the Jews and God. God wasn't easily accessible. In the temple, there were multiple rooms that you had to go through to get to God. You had to wash yourself over and over again to become ceremonially clean. And then only once a year was one person allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence. And do you know what? It wasn't to have a nice chat with God as father. It was to beg forgiveness for the Jewish nation. This was how the Jews were close to God as their father. They had a special relationship with him 
and a relationship that no other nation could enjoy. And this was what the Judaizers were tempting the Gentiles with. They were saying, we're Jews, we enjoy the closest, most intimate relationship with God and you can call him Father and it's because we've got the law and we follow him. So if you want to become, sorry, if you want that, you have to become like us. But in the New Testament, we say, we see a new way to become children of God. What happens to the temple, the curtain, when Jesus dies on the cross? It's torn in two. The barriers that separate us from God are broken down. God becomes accessible. Jesus, the great high priest, has made forgiveness before God possible for anyone who trusts in him. Since Jesus has come, we don't have to obey the law or become Jews in order to be able to call God Father. So what happens when we're made sons and daughters by faith in Jesus? Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Because you are his sons, God set the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba Father. We are able to enter into that relationship with the creator of the universe and by the spirit call him Father. Doesn't this say so much? about what the Spirit's job is? What does the Spirit actually do? You know how sometimes people talk about their experience of the Spirit? Life is just like colourful colourful for them. They want to sing and dance and jump around. They seem to have this amazing experience of the Spirit. And we can feel like our lives are boring in comparison to that. But the Spirit's job is not to make you jump up and down or raise your arms in the air or make you sing and jump. The Spirit's job is to help you call out Abba, Father. That's what the Spirit's job is here according to Galatians. How comforting to know that we're not missing out on some spiritual high because we have the greatest privilege that the Spirit gives us of calling God Father. What kind of father is God? He's not an angry father. He's not an absent father. He's not an inaccessible father, but a loving father, an accessible, intimate father who you can call Abba, Dad. That's what the Spirit gives us. We're not missing out on anything. God is the best father unlike our earthly parents, because God is perfect. Here's some of the ways that he's perfect. He's he's faithful in love and care. God is faithful. He's generous and thoughtful. He's interested in absolutely everything that we do. He respects our individuality. He's skillful in training us. He's wise in guidance. Turn to his word and you'll see his wise in guidance. He's always available. You have the ear of your father always. He helps us grow in maturity, integrity and uprightness. I don't know what your reaction is as you hear those things, as we go through that list. Maybe part of you aches a bit because you realise your own dad was never like that. Maybe you're frustrated because you've never experienced a good dad. 
and you feel like you can't understand how good God is as a father. But I think all of us know and can know that God is the best father. If you have a great dad who's always looked out for you, who's cared and stood up for you when you're hurt, he's taught you countless lessons that have stuck with you. You can say, God is like that? Yes, only better, better by far. You might have a disappointing dad. You're saying, he let me down so many times. He broke my trust. He abused his position of authority. He hurt me. But God, praise him. He will be very different from that. You might have grown up never knowing your dad. You can say, I have never known what it's like to have a real dad. But thank you, Jesus. I now have one in heaven. And I can know and enjoy the best father that there ever was. Calling God father is the biggest, best privilege you can ever get. That's right, even better than being saved. Why? Because being forgiven is just clinical. It's fundamental and necessary, like the paperwork for adoption, but you can do the paperwork but never do a good job of actually raising a kid as part of your family. God could have just forgiven us and then remain distant and unavailable and inaccessible. But God doesn't just fill out the adoption paperwork. He establishes us in the security of belonging to his family and lets us call him Abba, Father. Not only can we have the security of being brothers and sisters and looking at each other and knowing that we're one and united in Christ, we have Christ As our brother, you can know that God looks at you with the the same affections that he has for his own son, Jesus. God says of Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And God says of you, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. You accepted by God. You are no longer an outsider to the blessing of being in a relationship with God. He looks at you and is pleased. Isn't God's love great that he would do that? Pardoning you, an unrepentant, guilty, defiant sinner and making you sons and daughters. It's not just that the slave is free. It's more than that. It's, it's that the orphan is adopted and has a relationship with a father that loves him. The slave who's freed isn't just thinking, great, I'm not a slave anymore. They're breathing in the fresh air of their freedom. The orphan that's adopted isn't just thinking, great, I'm not an orphan anymore. They're thinking, I have parents. God's beyond, gone beyond just freeing us. He's adopted us. And yes, we're forgiven and accepted by God, but God has gone beyond what we need. He's not only saved us from the slavery of sin, he's brought us into the rich experience of him as Father. And there's still more than this. What's the last perk that we can see in the passage? 
It's that we're now heirs. We are heirs with Christ. Paul summarizes in um, verse 7. Why don't you take a look in verse 7? He says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Because we are brothers and sisters of Jesus, and Jesus inherits the kingdom of God, we will inherit the kingdom of God as well. You can have amazing hope and confidence in this. Because knowing God as Father means that our inheritance is not just a possibility, but a guarantee, just as much as an inheritance is legally guaranteed to the next of kin. We are God's children. The kingdom of heaven is our inheritance. Are we asking too much? Is this too much of a claim? No, just look at Matthew chapter 5 and 7 and you'll see that it's instructions to children of God. In Matthew 5, it starts out with the Beatitudes and it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those that are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's great. We can live like that, right? We can live like this because, as we saw in Geordie's talk last night, we're tourists here on earth. We belong to the kingdom of heaven. So we can live lives that are totally different from everyone else. We can get familiar with this information, can't we? We're so used to just beginning our prayers by saying, Father, and then moving on to a prayer. We forget how awesome it is to call God Father. So when you pray, it is to God as Father. And God will listen. Not because you repeat yourself over and over again. It's not because of how long your prayer is. It's not because of how great your prayer is that people come up to you afterwards and say, man, that was a great prayer. It's because as a child of God, God is your Father and he will listen to you. So when Jesus teaches to pray, how does he teach us to pray in Matthew? Heavenly Father. So don't be afraid to pray simple prayers. They don't have to be elaborate. They don't have to sound intelligent. You don't have to pray the same thing over and over again. You don't have to offer profound prayers. Just pray to God like a child talking to their loving father. Make requests. Ask for help. Say thank you. Give him praise like an adoring son or daughter would say about their dad, my dad is the best dad. We can say about God, our God, our Father is the best Father. It's because God is a good Father, the perfect Father, as we pray sometimes, he doesn't give us everything that we ask for. Just like a parent reserves a right 
to not give all the things that a child asks for. They can say to little Johnny, eating your weight in Easter chocolate will not be good for you. Often we pray and ask for something that wouldn't be good for us and God answers the prayers in ways that we don't expect, which helps us understand passages like Romans 8, 28, right? Which says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. God might answer your prayer by saying, no, that wouldn't be good for you. It may not be the answer that you expect, but we know that it will always be for our good. This helps us, doesn't it? Because as we talk to our Father, as we speak to him in prayer and requests, there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. God is an attentive Father who listens to us and he will answer our prayers. So keep praying. Don't let what you think is an unanswered prayer slow you down. Keep praying. God loves you and is giving the things that are good for you. So pray boldly for them. We have a stack of security with God as our Father. These perks of being children of God are just layers upon layers of freedom, joy and hope. Remind yourselves regularly of all the perks that you have as children of God. Sing them to yourself as a tune that runs through your mind in all of your life circumstances. Whenever someone says to you that you have to earn your way to get right with God, you can sing this tune in your head. You can sing, I'm a child of God and my debt has been paid by the perfect son of God. When, some, when you step into church and you're worried about whether or not you can fit in, you can think to yourself, I'm a child of God and all these people are too. We have the greatest thing in common. So you can walk in there and feel part of the family. When you're confronted with what seems to be an impossible task, you can think, I'm a child of God. I have the year of my father who I can ask for help and know that he'll be working this for my good. When you're weighed down by guilt, you can think, I'm a child of God and he has forgiven me fully. When you get let down by your family and friends, you can think, I'm a child of God and I have my greatest need fulfilled by him. When you're worried about what other people will think of you, when you let them know that you're a Christian or you tell them the gospel, you can think, I'm a child of God and nothing anyone says or does can take that away from me. You can be fearless and adventurous in the assurance and confidence you find in being a child of God. So get out there and live crazy lives that make people wonder who the heck you are. Let them find out. You're a stranger on earth. This is Geordie's talk yesterday. You belong to heaven. You're a child of God. Let's go through them again. You have amazing perks as Christians, as children of God. You, one, are no longer slaves of God, um, slaves of the law. You're children of God, which lets you call out Father. And as children of God, brothers with Jesus, you are heirs with Jesus. You beat Prince George in every way. 
In fact, you even beat him in his royalty. He is only the son of the next human king, but you are the sons and daughters of the king of the universe who rules with complete power and control. How amazing it is. How wonderful. What a loving God to do that for us. Spend time thinking about those perks, those privileges. As you go through the week, as you finish fat here, you don't cease to have all these truths in, in you to know and believe. Go into your week and remind yourself of them. Make a legit tune that you can sing to yourself. I'll pray that this sticks with you as you leave here this week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome privilege it is to be able to call you Father. We thank you that we can cry out to you, that we always have your ear, that you're listening to us, that you care about us. We thank you for Jesus who's gone to the cross and made this possible for us, fulfilling the law, redeeming us from under the law, becoming a curse for us to free us from the curse of the law. We pray that we wouldn't forget how amazing this is to call you Father. We pray that we'll recite this in our hearts and minds, that the, the truth of our identity would deeply be embedded in our hearts so that we can walk out into the world and have people know that there's something different about us, that we're children of the living God, the God who sent his Son to redeem everyone. We pray that we would be ambassadors of that reconciliation, that we would go out to people and show them how amazing it is to be brought into right relationship with you. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well.